What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. This is the Two Minute Drill, recapping Week 12 of the NFL and fantasy football season. I'm Dan Malin. I'm joined by James Grande. Grande, let's start it off as we always do. Let's discuss our highs and lows of the week. Uh, a low for me is season-long fantasy football. I'm locked out of some leagues, just because <laughs> of some, some email and personal identity verification errors that I've had on one particular site. And so um, in one league, I've just kind of mailed it in. I think my commissioner is setting my lineup. And then like in two other leagues, I have to tell my commissioner how to set my lineup and do my waivers every week, and I feel terrible about it. Um, so season-long, it's been a struggle but DFS, uh, kept the the I don't know. I can't call it a winning streak because I lost a couple hundred bucks in week eleven. But week twelve, I got back on the right track. <clears throat> Even played more slates than I normally do. I played the early slate yesterday, uh, cashed comfortably in that one. My main slate cash lineup doubled up in almost all of its contests. And then even in the afternoon slate, I barely made the money line, but that still counts. So overall, for DFS, it was another successful week for me. How did week twelve serve you? Uh, we missed the cash line, Dan. We missed it by like a point. Um, and that was in I, GPPs, right? It was in a tournament. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a big cash game player. I. Uh, I missed the cash line this week was like 107 points on that days. Yeah, the <laughs> so I played just the I just played the 12 single um, on DK 128.4 was the cash line. I put up 126.8. So I missed the cash line by like 1.6 points, which feels bad. Um, I think, you know, my process was correct. I correlated the Minnesota-San Francisco game that scored 60 points. Uh, I just had the wrong guys. I played Jefferson over Thielen. I played Garoppolo, uh, who there was three rushing touchdowns. You know, I I wish maybe, you know, I can't, hate on Debo's two touchdowns because I had them, but like, why couldn't one of them be through the air? You know, that could have pushed me over the cash line. So, you know, I don't hate my, I didn't hate my process. Uh, I ran a, a little Henderson ball, this scaling stack, and he was targeted 10 times again. And Henderson got in the end zone, like a lot of good plays just didn't pan out. And, I, and it, you know, it happens like, again, low scoring week, missed the cash line. I liked my process going in. I was on Jimmy G I tweeted a bunch before the slate locked, and I spammed it. And I said, I will not tinker with my lineups. I will not tinker with my lineups. I will not. And I just used every character possible. And you know what? I didn't. And I stayed because I liked my process going into the week. And I think that's where people uh, mess up. It's like, I think process matters more than... uh, you know, late minute adjustments just based on, oh, crap, I really need to get this guy in. I think um, that's you're you're doing yourself a disservice in DFS when you do that. So good process, poor results. We're on to we're on to week third. Stick with work. the process. Right. It all pays out in the end. Um, right. Normally, we reserve this week for fantasy football winners and losers. However, I think we can probably just. I don't know, like there wasn't a big winner for me personally. Yep. Like I didn't play Leonard Fournette. Um my cash lineup, although it was fine, it was only 109 points, which <laughs> most weeks that doesn't like hit. Right. But this was such an off week for a lot of chalk. Um, I mean, Christian McCaffrey was like 45% owned in a lot of my cash lineups, and you know his injury kind of derailed his day. So I don't really want to talk about fantasy football winners, but there are two losers in mind, and we were texting about this yesterday. 
Um, and I was furious when I was watching this game at, at a drinking establishment right near my apartment. I was so mad. <laughs> I was trying to not be a complete a-hole at the bar, but I, was, I couldn't, like, wrap my head around. One, Urban Meyer, <clears throat> like, James Robinson was running very, very well against Correct. the Falcons. And he fumbles the ball, and Urban Meyer takes the liberty to bench him for the rest of the first half. And first of all, like, the Jaguars aren't necessarily a team that has the luxury of running back depth. And so, and Urban Meyer is also, you know, he's not, he's not like a hard ass. Or he doesn't have, like, the ability to be a hard ass, in my opinion. He's not Bill Belichick. He's not Parcells. He's not Tom Landry or Chuck Knoll or, like, any of these coaches that can truly, like, punish any player. To, like, sit your... You're like your best player for the rest of the half when he was running really well. And I was a little, I was a little frustrated because yes, he was in my cash lineup, but he was, he looked good. He was running perfectly fine aside for one play where he dropped the ball. And like that happens all the time. And like, I couldn't wrap my head around how you get these coaches in the NFL that just don't play their, their best players. And similarly, we were having the same discussion about, Nick Sirianni with Miles Sanders. Now, it later came out that Miles Sanders was dealing with a bit of an ankle injury, but it's still, like, frustrating when Sanders is running for 7.1 yards per carry on nine carries yesterday and was looking good, but then Boston Scott was on the field. Now, there was an injury to Sanders, apparently, and we'll touch on Sanders a little bit more later in this podcast because we're going to talk about Boston Scott and Jalen Hurts and how that running game might unfold going forward. But I have to give an acknowledgement to just moronic – head coaching moves when you're just like, if I was a head coach and I was, I was given like a fortune 500 company, I was given an NFL team and I was making the, the decisions like with personnel or like even the coaching decisions, like I would want my best players on the field. And the most frustrating part about this is like urban Meyer is punishing James Robinson one by drafting Travis Etienne, who if it wasn't for an injury, Etienne would probably be the RB one in this offense. And two, I understand James Robinson may not be their guy, but he's still the best player that they have available. And so I just couldn't believe some of the head coaching decisions that were made between these two guys, but Meyer specifically. And I feel like he had a meltdown halfway through the game because he probably heard that the USC coaching position was no longer vacant for him. I don't yeah. know. Like I was I was I was unraveling at the bar with how dumb he was. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, uh, it's it's unfortunate this whole James Robinson thing because the guy has done nothing but just absolutely ball since getting there. And undrafted, um, 10 touchdowns last year, 1,400 scrimmage yards. Lost three fumbles, okay? Which is not bad in the grand scheme of things. Three fumbles. Zeke Elliott guy, has had stretches where he's lost like five fumbles in three games. In three games. Uh, James Robinson touched the ball 289 times last year, Dan, three fumbles. So, uh, you know, that's almost 100 touches before a fumble, which is a very good ratio. Three fumbles this year for James Robinson. Um, and all he's done is, you know, average over five yards a carry. All he's done is score seven times. Um, all he's done was last year he rated out as the second best pass blocking running back in football. He does nothing wrong. Um, he played a season low 52% of his snaps this week. And I too had James Robinson um, <laughs> in my lineup. So like this, this hurt the both of us. Um, it, it just, it's like, okay, what are we going to do when we lose DJ Chark? Okay. What are we going to lose? What are we going to do when we lose Jamal Agnew, who's been our best option through the air? Okay. 
Let's get James Robinson the ball. You know what? Actually, he just fumbled. Let's let's uh let's show him what's what's up and let's put him on the bench. It just like you said, there's also a reason, Dan. This Jacksonville team that I think people thought would be better than this, like I don't think there was like lofty expectations. Yeah. But I don't think they were expected to be this bad. Um especially offensively, where they've only put up 20 points twice, three times this year. Um where where Urban Meyer was supposed to flourish, right? That's where he's supposed to uh you know have this offense purring like the defense was going to be what the defense was going to be um but at least their offense was supposed to keep them in games that's not the case and it's not going to be the case when you like you said your best player is losing snaps to carlos hyde who's on on the plus side of 30 and had one game of eight targets we were like oh maybe carlos hyde's a thing no never a thing (laughs) um and then the sirianni thing i mean there's always been like that like since he first stepped in the room, there's just been something weird about that guy. There's just been something off. Um, I had I actually had uh, somebody tweet at me, Dan, yesterday. And they tweeted at me after I, I mentioned. About like, historically, like, the running back snap share. Like yep, he, a, yeah. about the snap share when he was in <clears throat> Indianapolis. Um, and I found it interesting because, sure enough, he's doing the same thing in Boston. Or Boston. In, uh, in Philly, does he, that he did Huh? Give you a pass because the running backs name is Boston. (laughs) Yeah, Boston. Yeah, with Boston Scott. Um, So, like, it's just, it's a disaster. And as a Miles Sanders, Sanders, uh, I traded for Miles Sanders in a league. Um, I got him for really cheap. It wasn't like I gave up anything, you know. Well, he's the perfect, like, trade target to acquire. Right. Because he comes back healthy. We know the upside. Right. And the up. Every time this guy touches the ball, like, he just has not had a fair shake in Philly. Um, it's just another disastrous situation. And, and Sirianni's just – he's another offense, like, just, like, not being able to trust guys in Urban Meyer's offense. You just can't trust uh, Nick Sirianni-led team either. All right, let's discuss running backs. Between injuries and Week 12 results, we have a healthy amount of running backs available to us uh, on the waiver wire. We're going to start with Alexander Madison. Uh, arguably, the running back you should yep. be running to the waiver wire. Correct. This week. I, not um, argue. I don't even think it's argue. I don't think that's even an argument to make. In the waiver wire column, I'm going to recommend a 50% uh, fab bid, but even I think that's too low. Too At low, this yep. point and in this juncture of the season, you know where your team is at. If he's the guy that can push you to the next level, spend all your fab oh, yeah. together. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Dalvin Cook tore his labrum while dislocating his shoulder, so Madison's like the the obvious number one option. My question to you is: Do you think now we don't now they say like Dalvin Cook's injury is not season ending, but we don't necessarily know as of Monday night how long he's going to be out. But do you think that Alexander Madison emerges as a top ten running back the rest of the season, or at the very least? while uh, Dalvin Cook is out. Yeah. I mean, he had two top 10 finishes earlier in the year when he's given the opportunity. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't. We know the involvement the running back has in this Minnesota offense. It's one of those offenses that is super condensed. There's two receivers in Thielen and Jefferson that get all the targets. There's a running back that gets... Uh, is the third option in the passing game, and he's also going to get 20-plus carries, whether that's Cook or Madison. So the volume is just through the roof 
for any Minnesota running back. So whoever is back there, uh, yeah, I think he's the top option. I do want to ask you, though, Dan, because all these reports with Ezekiel Elliott and what to do about Ezekiel Elliott, if by chance, right, there is you're looking at your waiver wire, you have the number one priority, okay? And let's say they shut down Zeke for a couple of games, which they've mentioned. They've mentioned that they might shut him down. They've mentioned they might manage him. If Tony Pollard is sitting on your waiver wire, and so is Alexander Madison, who is your number one priority? I think it's still going to be Madison, only because I feel like Cook... You know, like it's, it's not like Elliott is... Like, we know he's going to miss multiple games. I definitely right. think that they should, like, shut him down and just make him a healthy scratch for Thursday's game. Right. Um, you know, but then you have to think about it. Like, they'll get, a like, an extended break to get ready for week 13. And so, I wait, no, week 14, they would get 14. the extended break. 14. So, I'm still more inclined to get Alexander Madison, especially because when Cook is out, um, we know – what he can do, and then he has that 20-point PPR upside. Tony Pollard is a great streaming option this week. Um, I'm not necessarily sold that the Cowboys would shut him down multiple weeks. Um, so right now, for me, just assuming that Dalvin Cook is going to be out for longer than Zeke, I would still prioritize Alexander Madison. I I would too, but I, I do think it's an interesting uh, problem to have because we know – Dak like Dak is one of those quarterbacks that also likes to check the ball down. Um, so Pollard could be heavily involved in the in the passing game, and he has been as a secondary option too. Um, so I I do think it's it's worth monitoring what they're going to do with Zeke over the next. Look, and if there's no priority, spend all your freaking fab on both the guys. Like if you still have a lot of fab at this point, you haven't been bit by injury, and um, I would go chips all in on both. Truthfully, so. Um, I think Madison's one, but I, I think Pollard, uh, would be two for me if, if available. I, I assume Tony Pollard's a bit not available in like many leagues at this point. I've had Tony Pollard on my, my home team all year long. Um, I actually picked up Allison, Alexander Madison after the domestic disputes reports with Dalvin Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually now just managed to have Madison and Pollard fall into my lap. So I, but I think they're the top priorities. Uh, top two priorities. Sure. Uh, if Tony Pollard is not available, there are plenty of other options this week. Sure. Christian McCaffrey is done for the year. I'm curious as to how you're prioritizing Chuba Hubbard. His success earlier in the year with uh, CMC sideline was well documented, but he doesn't play this week. The Panthers are on bye, and their last four games in weeks 15 through 18, they're against the Bills, the Bucks, the Saints, and then the Bucks again. I'm willing to spend all my fab on Alexander Madison. Um, but given just like the rest of the running backs that are available at our disposal this week, I don't even know if I want to spend 15 to 20% on Chuba Hubbard, just given the fact that I'm not getting him in a crucial week 13. And even in the fantasy football playoffs, the schedule is brutal. And there is Cam Newton who could vulture touchdowns as well. Dan, do you know, so Chuba Hubbard had six games in which he had double digit carries. Do you know how many week one finishes Chuba Hubbard had? If you had to guess, RB1. I do remember there was weeks, some frustrating. Two. Zero. <laughs> he had zero RB1 finishes 
um, in the six games. He had finished these. These were his finishes, and you know, not terrible because. But like you're also, you know. So here's his finishes, okay? So from 28, 36, 16, 22, 29, 18. So he finished 16 was his high. Um, and as the lead back, he also had, you know, 28, 36, 29. So three of those six games, he finishes an RB3. So it's arguably a flex. Now, have you noticed the targets that Amir Abdullah has been getting the last few weeks? Amir Abdullah, really and I think, <laughs> I think, I right, well, I don't think it's, that's, that is something that people realize, um, but Chuba Hubbard getting taken off the field in passing yeah. downs, um, Abdullah, six targets in the Miami game this past week, uh, Chris McCaffrey was there in Washington, he had four in Arizona, he had five in New England, he had five in Atlanta for Emil uh, Abdullah, so four of the last five games, Amir Abdullah has four plus targets. So now no Chuba Hubbard in the passing game. There's he hasn't given us RB. I'm sorry, like he is the clear cut like third or fourth option on the waiver wire. I'm not saying don't get him, but I think there's a little hesitation. I would even if I'm desperate throw a little a couple dollars on Amir Abdullah. I think. All right, uh, let's turn our attention to a couple Tennessee Titans running backs. Uh, who do we got? We've got. Uh, Dontrell Hilliard. Hilliard and uh, Foreman. Foreman. Yep. Both yep. ran for 100 yards against my New England <laughs> Patriots. They still lost. It was an ass whooping. Um, but a split backfield actually might benefit both of them if they can just kind of keep them healthy. Uh, they get an easy matchup this week against the Jaguars. Cordero Patterson just ran for 100 yards and a pair of touchdowns last week. Could this be a back-to-back effort for these two where they both record 100-yard efforts? Uh, I imagine it probably, in terms of carries, I think it would be more like 55 to 60% for Foreman, probably more 45 to, or 40 to 45% for Hilliard. I don't have a ton of confidence in either, but the opportunity is certainly there, and a lot of fantasy football running back success is predicated more on opportunity than overall right. talent. We saw it with Mike Davis last year in Carolina when Christian McCaffrey went down. Um, so do you like either of these two over Chuba Hubbard this week? That's a good question. Um, so they I feel play, like the answer should be yes. I feel like the answer should be yes. The answer, But the, the answer to the question is I'm not sure which because Hilliard played one more snap, 32 to 31. He played six more passing snaps. So I guess if... If I were to, if I was in like a PPR format, full point, I'd probably lean Hilliard, knowing that there's just more upside in the passing game. Um, but Foreman had more carries, so he. But Foreman like had more. Percent. But Foreman had more carries, so the half point PPR standard leagues, um, like if you're playing on Fanduel, maybe you play Dante Foreman. If you're playing on DraftKings or in a PPR format, you play Hilliard. So uh, I think that's how I break it down. But the answer is yes, I prefer both over Chuba Hubbard. Uh, we talked about the Philadelphia backfield earlier in the podcast. Uh, Boston Scott, as, as frustrating as Nick Sirianni is, Miles Sanders is dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, earlier today, reports came out that Jalen Hurts has a lower body injury that will limit his rushing attempts going forward. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, he can't throw, so what are they going to do? He can't throw, so you have to imagine he's still going to like put the game in his hands and, and run with it. But the Eagles have a pretty favorable schedule going forward um, with everyone else beat up. Does Boston Scott have the potential? And if 
I know like thinking of Boston Scott as a top 15 running back over the next couple of weeks is a little crazy, but you know, with no Christian McCaffrey, with no Dalvin cook, no Derrick Henry, uh, no Ezekiel Elliott for at least this week, possibly more. Is there potential for Boston Scott to maybe be a league winner? I can't believe you just put Boston Scott and league winner in the same sentence. Ugh, it's disgusting. Um, I guess, right. The only thing is if, like top 15 running back. Is that reasonable? Yeah. What's the schedule for Philly? What what do we have? We have, oh my God, the Jets. It's basically just the NFC East and the Jets. Jets, Washington, Giants, Washington. And then Dallas your, week 18 if you're playing week 18. Yeah, so those are your four. So, you, I mean, you're using them. I guess my question would be, like, you're going to use Scott here against the Jets if yep. Sanders is limited at all or out. But then they have a bye. So, in all likelihood, you get Sanders back for that Washington game. So, it's probably more of a rental. Like, if I'm ranking them, I don't think I'd put them as a top 15 <clears throat> running back. Um, but for a one-week rental, I could see him being a, a top 24 running back. I mean, especially because they're only – one game, a half game out of a playoff spot right now behind Minnesota, who's five and six, and Philly's five and seven. They're two and a half games out of the division. You know, Dallas is good, but you know, it, it's not entirely insurmountable to overcome and, and possibly yep. still take the crown. They needed to win. No, I mean, they needed to win. They needed to beat the Giants. You know, what's so annoying about the Eagles is like when Jalen Hurts is clicking, that offense, like that whole team in general, looks yep. awesome. Yep. Um, arguably one of the better teams in the NFC. But then they have weeks like week 12 where they just look so incompetent and stupid on offense. And then you're thinking, well, how, how can I possibly think this team has a fighting chance in this division? But it is the NFC East. Um, all right, let's turn our attention to helping people prep for the fantasy football playoffs. What are some things around this time of year that you're looking to do with your teams? Now, the start of the fantasy playoffs has arguably been pushed back a week with, with the extra week added to the NFL schedule. But one thing I really like to do around this time of year is consolidate my roster. And what I mean by that is, like, say, maybe I'm carrying a backup quarterback or tight end. And if my starting tight end, if I have a Kelsey, um, Darren Waller kind of falls out of the picture because he's injured and they don't believe it's serious. But if I have a Kelsey, a Kittle, even a Gronk right now, I'm feeling pretty good about my tight end position. Um, so if I have a backup quarterback or a backup tight end, I'm dropping them and trying to stash more RB, maybe wide receiver depth. I'd also consider maybe stashing a DST that has some good matchups in the playoffs. Um, so that's something that I try to do. I If I, if I know I'm never going to start a guy, I will drop him. unless And that just applies to quarterback and tight end. Because I want to try to accumulate as much uh, running back and wide receiver depth. Because at the very least, I don't want the rest of my league to own those guys. So right. even if they don't make my starting roster, I just want to make sure they're not making anyone else's roster. I think it's a great point. I think I think the the dropping of backups is super underrated. Because like if you have Lamar Jackson who's passes by week, or you have like a QB, like a QB one, right? Tom Brady, who went on his spot. You don't need a backup quarterback going into the postseason. Like even 
looking at matchups like, oh, wow, this guy had, it doesn't matter. You're at the end of the day, you're not going to play that player over Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson. Um, right. I think something that I, I like to do is look at schedule and it kind of correlates with what you were saying about like, you know, I'm never going to start this guy. <clears throat> Let me look at some some waiver wire options, some like fringe players with with uh, good schedules that could have an opportunity um, if there's an injury, just like you said. I mean, it again, it's correlated because you're basically we're basically doing the same thing where you're picking up backup running backs potentially, you know, that could start if there's an injury ahead of them. I'm looking at a schedule and saying, well, you know, if this guy gets hurt and uh, he ha- they have this elite schedule in the playoffs, well, now I have this RB1 or this RB2 or this wide receiver one, this wide receiver two. Um, so looking at looking ahead at schedules um, for your postseason, because like who wants to use a running back against Tampa in week 15? You know, like that's just start of your playoffs. Like Bruce Arian said, it's like nobody runs on us. That's literally what he said. He's like, nobody runs on us. Um, even Jonathan Taylor had tough sledding. He, he made up with it with a touchdown. But um, those are some of the strategies I use. I love your your call, uh, especially about the backups. I don't like carrying backup quarterbacks to begin with. I'm a one quarterback either. guy. I'm a one quarterback guy <clears throat> until I have to pick up a second quarterback. Exactly. I try to preach that in my waiver wire columns or even when I'm in the NFL seasonal chat. Like, you don't, especially in a 10-team league or, like, even more shallow, there is no point in carrying None. a backup quarterback or a backup tight end until you need one. No. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like, especially with where the quarterback position is, and, like, I was generally a late-round QB drafter, and then something happened where everyone in the NFL got a good quarterback, except the Giants. And then, like, all these, like, elite quarterbacks i'm like well why am i not gonna why am i not drafting lamar jackson or kyler murray or josh allen or whoever early and if you have one of those guys what in what is why are you wasting a roster spot you could have a chuba hubbard uh all year that you're stashing or you could have had um tony pollard all year stat you know so like it's just it's just kind of wasteful depending on like how your your roster size is and how deep your bench is and um, so on and so forth. So I think schedules, I think dropping of backups is super important. Um, also, I throw, like these late bye weeks, like New England, for week 14, right? I mean, that could like a fringe player, like if you're hanging on to like an Aguilar or someone of that nature, like, and it's your postseason, like drop them and pick someone up because that's the start of your postseason. You don't know what can happen next week for week 13 and uh yeah, so look at schedules, look at who's playing, look when your postseason starts, and and then uh, dominate. I, I don't know what to say. Like, you just win <laughs> with those strategies, you know? All right, man. To close out the show, believe it or not, the floor is yours. Okay, Dan. So we have this. I'm curious as to how this will go, especially, like, this late in the season. The believe it or not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. I think this is <laughs> – We've had some. We've we have we should uh we should do a recap of believe it or not uh, at the end of the year we should just do like a bonus pod and just go back on uh, go back on all how uh, uh see how, how smart you was are. like yeah let's see how smart yeah let's see how smart you are yep yeah I like that yeah back in right. September dude perfect back in September <laughs> okay um so this receiver just lost his receiver mate uh, for at least one to two weeks and he's currently listed at wide receiver. 49. Uh, he has three 
top 30 finishes over his last four games, two wide receiver one finishes uh, over that span. I'm talking about Brandon Ayuk, uh, who I'm sure you figured out once I said one to two weeks, Debo Samuel, the expected expected time he's going to miss. My question to you is current wide receiver 49, can Brandon Ayuk with one, two, three, four, five, six regular season games remaining – finish as a wide receiver too yeah and it's i'm basing this solely <laughs> off of the schedule <laughs> is that what the is that what that's the, that's uh, what the oh my god, god was because okay. he's playing the seahawks the Bengals, the falcons the titans the texans and then finally the rams but that's week 18 <laughs> okay so if you are a brandon Ayuk owner you have to feel really good about your prospects Heading into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, at the very worst, you're starting that as a flex, but that he has, especially how he came on late last season. Um, yeah, you know, you have to feel good about the high end wide receiver two potential, low end wide receiver one potential that he potentially has over the next two weeks against Seattle and then Cincinnati. And like, the thing is, is like, not only are some of these games, um, you know, not only could they be shootouts or at least just very favorable matchups, but next week he's got the Seahawks at home, which is uh, the NFC West divisional games are, in my opinion, they're usually very competitive shootouts. Yep. Surprise, they only have two divisional games left, but even the, the four non-divisional games against the Bengals. <laughs> the, the Falcons. Texans, yeah. My God, like, there's an opportunity for Brandon Ayuk to just feast. And it's great that DFS, the DFS sites have already released the week 13 prices. Uh, yeah. What, what's, what, I was going to say, what is what do we have for Brandon Ayuk? Uh, Second, I can get it up in about 15 seconds. Because uh, I wonder. Tell them that joke, to, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if they factored it. Let's. I, I don't think they're going to factor in the Debo injury. I think the algorithm's not going to factor it, and I think we're going to still get a cheap. Uh, what do you think he, would, he is? I got it up right now. Um, he was what fifty three this past week. Uh, he's going to be fifty seven. Fifty six. So you were very close. Fifty six. Hmm. That's, that's oof against Seattle. That's a good price. Uh, he's yeah. going to be super. Charged. He's averaging about seven targets per game over the last five games, and that's with Debo. Right. But then again, this is also like a nice. Uh, this is also a bump for George Kittle as well. 100% a bump for George Kittle, who was, uh, didn't even know if he was playing the other day uh, or yesterday. Um, okay, one more question, Dan, to wrap it up. We're going uh, to head to a backfield, a current split backfield, or we thought a split backfield. And it has been a split backfield with this guy being on the short end of the stick until the week prior to their bye week. Talking about Denver? I am talking about... The Denver Broncos. And up until week 10, it was a split backfield where this guy was on the short end and this guy being Javante Williams. Despite being on the short end for the first nine weeks, Javante Williams has now played 57 and 58% of the snaps in week 10 and then week 12 because they had the week 11 bye. Jesus, oh my God. So my question. Sorry, that was another another schedule reaction. Another schedule reaction. <laughs> yeah. But so my question 
Uh, I also see the schedule, and my God. Uh, my question, uh, and this is probably, this is this is what brings the bacon home, because everyone, I feel like Javante Williams, and you know this as well as anyone, because you answer thousands of questions every Sunday. I feel like Javante Williams is the most polarizing name, like, every Sunday. It's like, so-and-so, so-and-so, or Javante Williams. So-and-so, oh, or Javante dude. Williams. So I'll tell you what, like you are dead on with the polarizing like player comment only because on Tuesdays when I'm in the NFL seasonal chat answering questions, like the past couple of weeks, there have been questions where it's like, am I dropping Javante Williams? And the answer is no. And oh, this, like what he's done the last two games is why and what he could do over the next few games where they have the Chiefs twice. Uh, they have them this week and then in week 18. So that, that's kind of a bummer. But then they still get. <laughs> they still get the Lions, the right. Bengals, the Raiders, the Bolts. I mean, like, this is a great schedule. It's it's basically what just what we talked about for Brandon Ayuk, but this is a great schedule for an opposing running back. And so if you've been stashing him this long, well done. Uh, pat yourself on the back for the patience because it's finally paying off. Um, and, and like, the, the other thing that I will mention is that Melvin Gordon, we've either been waiting for one of two things to happen. One, he gets hurt, or two, uh, his the exposure to the fact that he's volume dependent gets exposed, and that hasn't really been the case this year. Right. He's actually been pretty efficient when he's given. He's been good. Um, but at the same time, this is one of those things where it's like the Broncos won their first three games, and then they lost four straight. Now they've lost, they've won three of their last four. They're six and five, so they're in contention for the playoffs. But you have to do what's best for your team. And when you watch Javante Williams run, it's beyond entertaining because he's different. It's different. It's very different. Like he's big, but he can run over anyone. And he's just, he looks like next year when Melvin Gordon is out of the picture, or if if hopefully they don't bring him back, but when Gordon is out of the picture, like Javante Williams just possibly screams top 10 uh, pick. In yep. any format. Yep. So here's so. So what was the question? I apologize. Perfect. No, it's a perfect, perfect segue. Also, I think there was a third part to that. Uh, the, I think the part was that we just figured Denver would be out of it by now, and then the transition would have already happened, right? It's like changing of the guard, Denver not being good. They're good. Yeah. I mean, they're still in it. So um, I think there was a third part, but I think like don't take the ball out of Melvin Gordon's hands, but put the right. ball more in Javante Williams' hands. Right, and they've already they've alluded to him being Alvin Kamara like, right? That's what that's what they said at the beginning of the year. That's what Fangio said. So, you know, Alvin Kamara. I don't know if you guys knew out there in Denver, but uh, he catches passes um, well. Uh, so, so my question, Dan, you mentioned top ten, and this was that was alluding to next year, but. He is currently running back 26 going into Monday Night Football because we're recording um, prior to the game or during the game, rather. Why He's still running back 26. There are six weeks left. Do you believe that Javante Williams can be a RB1 by year's end? No. Um, I think the argument for that is, is that you, you see guys like Derrick Henry – Camara will come back at some point, but you see Derrick Henry, who's who may not return until the NFL playoffs. McCaffrey's done. Cook is going to be out a while. I'm probably missing another big name running back. I I don't Everyone. see him getting. Go- <laughs> yeah. 
I don't see him getting the RB1. I think high-end RB2 is very well within reach. You want to know what the back of the – this is – I'll give you I'll give you the names currently, 7 through 15. Okay, I'll just rattle them off quick. Derrick Henry is still RB7. Yeah. Ezekiel Elliott is RB8. Both guys, we don't know how much time they're even going to spend on the, on the field this year. Cordero Patterson is RB9. James Conner is RB10. Aaron Jones is RB11. Alvin Kamara is RB12, Daryl Henderson 13, Miles Gaskin 14, Urban Meyer's least favorite player, James Robinson's 15. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't see him leapfrogging some of those guys. Okay, okay. And I think that's I, a fair point. But yeah. if the changing of the guard remains, and let's say Denver loses a couple, they fall out of the playoff picture, I think we're in for a, if you are a Javante Williams owner, he is going to win people championships because he's going to get 20 plus touches leagues like 15 16 17 i agree he is a league winner and if you've been stashing him reap the rewards but grande thank you so much for your time best of luck to you in week 13 and best of luck most of all to the fa nation